Good morning, everyone. Uh, at our Easter uh, Friday service, we had some children share with us some things that they'd learned at Kids Church about that half of the Easter story. The Easter story. We're going to have some children sharing with us now about uh, the Easter Sunday section. Jesus was nailed to a cross. They put a sign above Jesus' head that said, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Two criminals were crucified next to Jesus. Darkness covered the land. In the afternoon, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus died. Jesus was buried in a tomb. A large stone was rolled in front of the tomb, and Pilate's soldiers guarded the tomb so that no one would steal Jesus' body. On the third day, two of Jesus' friends, both named Mary, went to the tomb. They were very sad. Suddenly there was a big earthquake, and an angel came down from heaven. The angel rolled away the stone and sat on it. The guards fainted. The angel spoke to the woman, Don't be, don't, Do not be afraid. You are looking for Jesus, who died. He is not here. He has been raised from the dead, just as he said he would. He is heading to Galilee, where, and you will see him there. The woman was so happy. Jesus wasn't dead anymore. He was alive. Just then, Jesus met them. The woman worshipped him. Jesus told them, Do not be afraid anymore. Go and tell my friends to go to Galilee. I will meet them there. Today we'll be reading God's Word from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. It'll be up there on the screen behind me, or if you've got a church Bible, you can find it on page 858. Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee... The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Good morning, church. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Yay, it's great to be here. It's great to be at Southside. My name's Mikey, if you don't know me. I'm, the, uh, I'm part of the leadership team here at Southside, but you'll usually see me 
uh, in Sunnybank on Sunday afternoons. I pastor a church called Providence down that way at 5 p.m. But um, um, it's, it's great to be here. And it's, I've had the privilege uh, last Sunday, Good Friday and today, to be able to share from God's Word here. Hopefully it's been helpful for the Southside family. Um, but if you're new here, that's who I am. And uh, it's great that you're here today as well to do Easter with us and, and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the risen hope that we have in Him and why that matters to us, how that changes everything for us. Um, so let's get into it. I'm going to pray for us because I really want God's help to help us understand this, but also to just be filled with that hope that we have today as we reflect on Christ um, over this weekend, over Easter. So let's, um, let's pray now. Father, we do thank you for the gospel and we thank you for your word given to us. And we pray, Lord, today as we hear from it, as we, uh, as we reflect on the resurrection of Christ, that he's risen, Lord, that um, we'll be filled with hope. We'll be filled with um, the joy that comes from knowing you and that we get to have a relationship with you through Jesus. And thank you for your word today. And we pray uh, you'll be with us as we hear from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I woke up on Tuesday morning, and I don't know if you woke up on Tuesday morning with your Facebook getting flooded with articles about Notre Dame. It was, it was everywhere. Everywhere I looked, I was reading stuff about Notre Dame. It was, it was sad. Uh, if you missed out on the news this week and you didn't open any, you know, any Facebook or anything like that, Notre Dame, it went up in flames this week. Um, the, the, the whole outer structure remained, but there were repairs that were needed. The repairs were in the millions, perhaps uh, even in the billions, um, to get it re repaired and restored to its former glory. Now, I was a bit sad as someone who visited it and uh, saw it up close. I remember walking down the River Seine with Heidi, uh, my wife, on a date uh, while holidaying in Paris and seeing this beautiful building um, peeking behind the trees that lined the river. Uh, like others, I um, put up a selfie of us on my Instagram, just to show my solidarity, you know, a bit of a humble brag that I was there back, you know, back there in 2012. But seeing photos of it up in flames was sad. If I was a Parisian, I'd be super sad. An 850-year-old cathedral now destroyed. And from reading some of the articles online, this is how some of the witnesses to the fire responded. Notre Dame is the heart of Paris, and I came as soon as I heard. This is our heart, and it's disappearing in the flames. What do we have left? Another news reporter said when she saw the, the central spire of the cathedral fall down, it was like seeing a dagger go through the heart of Paris. Now, Notre Dame is just a church building, but it was the symbol of the city, the heart of Paris, a, a source of pride for them. Notre Dame, to them, seemed imperishable. Now, devastating as it may seem, that the French president... Um, um, went on TV and inspired hope. He said this, We have a lot to build, and we will build. We will rebuild it even more beautiful than it was before. And I believe profoundly that we will turn this tragedy into a moment to come together, to be reflective of what we were and what we have to be. We must be better than we were. Inspirational words, right, from the French um, president uh, to the French, to cling to hope for the future and what can be uh, after such a tragic event to the heart of Paris. But if you guys were keeping up with the news too, you'd also know that within the first few days, there was already over 700 million euros donated to restore this building. You got hope from the words of the president, and you got hope from a ton of money coming in. 
And it's crazy because in the first few hours even, there was about 300 million euro that was donated from two men alone in Paris. Two of the, two of the wealthiest. One of them owns the LV brand, if you know the LV brand, Louis Vuitton. The other owns Gucci, okay? And like me, they've got billions of dollars stored in their piggy bank under their bed. So chucking a few million dollars towards Notre Dame, piece of cake. But let's think about this. All of this is pointing us to one thing, isn't it? People want hope. The heart of Paris has been burnt down, but we can't lose hope. This isn't the end for Notre Dame. You know, the hunchback will have a home, and it tells us something, that our world wants to hold on to hope in the sometimes hopelessness of our world. Regardless of your religious or ethnic background, we need to hold on to the hope of seeing something once beautiful and iconic, now destroyed and devastated, to be restored to something even greater. But what this tragedy of this iconic building has also taught us is that there is something also quite broken with the world as well. Two men out of seven billion people in the world were able to pledge that amount of money within hours of the fire. That immediacy and that magnitude, it tells us something, doesn't it? If this is so easily possible for these two men, then truly there's, there's enough money in the world to feed every mouth, shelter every family, educate every child. But in our world, there's still a failure to do so. I read this in an online article that raised this idea. It said this, brick and mortar and stained glass might burn, but they, they do not bleed. They do not starve and they do not suffer. Humans suffer. Everywhere in the world, people are suffering, but their suffering is every day. It doesn't light up a front page. It doesn't inspire immediate donations from the world's wealthiest men. And, and while the president of France and wealthy people are putting money so that people can have hope, there are millions of people living on this globe living with very little in terms of hope. And hope is one of those things, isn't it? It's one of those things that keeps humanity going. Hope allows us to pursue things that we never thought we could. Hope allows us to get out of bed in the morning, to take risks, to initiate with friendships or relationships, finish things like our, our university degrees or training courses, because at the end of it, we'll, we believe it'll be worth it. Hope empowers us, doesn't it? It motivates us, it inspires us. Hope is what our human hearts cling to in times of poverty, in times of heartache and sorrow, loneliness, in times of disaster and even death. And when we get on Facebook or social media and we see another mass shooting, another natural disaster, we say we're sending our thoughts and we're, and we're sending our prayers because we want to send people hope. More than ever, don't we? We want, we want hope in our humanity. We want hope that our world is getting better that globalization and, and the internet and education means that there's going to be less disease, there's going to be less unrest, there's going to be less poverty, more peace, more freedom, more joy. Yet, no matter how progressive our Western society gets or how much hope is in the heart of humanity, our, our world still groans with insecurity. It still groans with terror on the streets, war, poverty, slavery, trafficking. It still exists. And even in Brisbane, right, our safe little bubble here, there's an increasing amount of crime and danger, especially for us on the south side, hey. But we, we do want to stay in our bubbles, don't we? We, we? we want to shut off the rest of the world, surround ourselves with positive people and positive vibes. As long as my life is going well, my, my hope lies in what I can bring to the table. My hope lies here in my heart. Tomorrow, Mikey, is another day. Have hope. And we hope. And we challenge ourselves onto the next frontier, and we take it one day as it comes. I'll live by my hope. And I'll keep telling myself, let hope drown out that negativity. Let hope drown out my anxieties and insecurities. But then I'm always left asking myself, 
where am I actually putting my hope in? It, it, there's a dilemma because my heart is just as fallen as the rest of the world around me. Where can I find then a solid, unshakable hope? And what's happening in the world around us, the, tor- the turmoil, the, the insecurity, the fear, it actually right, lies right here in our human heart too. We, we need hope, but we need a hope that's more solid, more firm than any other hope that a, a billionaire or a world leader can give us. And while self-help books and, and wellness blogs are, are telling us to find that hope in ourselves, the Bible actually points us to find it in someone. Someone who is far greater, someone who's far greater where we can find a hope in a world, in a, in a crumbling world. And that's what we discover as we read today. That's what we're reminded of on Easter Sunday. And so the narrative we read was from Luke's Gospel. Right? And, and the children helped us, uh, remind us what happened before uh, this part of the narrative. Uh, Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross. He was buried in a tomb. And Luke 24, let's read it again. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. You see, what the angels in the tomb say, remember what Jesus told you, the the Son of Man must be delivered must be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Jesus himself, he prophesied that it must happen. And so on Good Friday, if some of you were here, we remember Jesus who died an undeserving death on the cross for you and for me. A man who was innocent, put on a Roman cross to be executed. Why? You see, what happened is that God saw his creation. He didn't, he didn't see an 850-year-old French stone cathedral damage, but he saw you and me, his own people, created in his image, living in sin rejection of God. He saw us, and he saw us damaged. He saw us broken without hope. He sees the sin that stains our hearts, humanity's sin. And what that means is that our hearts don't acknowledge God for who he is, that we don't desire a relationship with him, that we'd rather play God over our own lives or worship other gods and idols in this life than give him the recognition that he deserves. And so since our relationship with God is broken and we've offended him, he has every right to reject and judge us as we deserve. That's justice. Justice tells us that sin needs to be dealt with. But the story of the cross shows us that justice came down. It came down on Jesus. He took the sin upon himself, and his death on the cross shows us that. The perfect, sinless Son of God removed our sin, provided us a way to forgiveness to God, before God. And so God saw us, saw us walking down a path away from him, and he provided a way back. Because of his love, he sent his son Jesus to die for you and for me. So Jesus, driven by that mission to do God's will, and through love, died on a cross. That's what Good Friday was all about. But today, we remember something else that had to happen. You see, three days later, the same man rose from the dead. And when the women entered, the two angels in the tomb said, Why? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He ain't here, fam. He's risen. And you can, you can imagine, right, if you were there, you can imagine the roller coaster of emotions. Disbelief would be first, right? Shock, 
sometime later, perhaps. Jesus? Back from the dead? Are you for real? Not a zombie? Not, not, you know, not the walking dead? He's alive? Flesh and blood as he once was? Yes, and with the very scars or holes in his hands where he was pierced. Now, I'd be losing it. You had all your hope in this teacher, this miracle worker. The one you called Messiah, thinking he will, thinking he will save you from the oppression of the Roman government. Because that's what the Messiah was, was pictured to do, right? And one moment you're scared, you're fearful and lost all hope because the one you followed all these years ends up dead. Crucified on a Roman cross. Suddenly, three days later, what we hear later on is that standing right before them is the same man alive and well, who eats and speaks with them. Jesus, risen from the dead. Now, wow, for the Christian, that, that resurrection, this, this is what we're going to focus on today. The resurrection is the very foundation of our confidence and hope, isn't it? If Jesus stayed dead, we'd, we'd have no idea if he was really the Christ. We would have no idea if he was really the Savior. How would we know, right? How would we know if he was the Christ, if death itself was, was still his final song, like the rest of us plebs? Right? But no, because Jesus lives, we have an unshakable hope in who he says he is, in what he achieved through his life, death, and being raised again. You see, he takes away the very barrier between us and God. And through being raised to life then, we can be united with him in eternal life. And we can be confident that our sin has been dealt with. That's the future hope we have, friends. I really want to break this down for us today because there, I think there are two really important things that the resurrection means for us. And this is what we're going to talk about. Firstly, Jesus being raised from the dead gives us an assurance for our unsettled hearts that we too get to share in his life. In Romans chapter 6, it says this, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see, the very thing that separates us from God has been paid for. His resurrection is the evidence that Jesus has power over sin and death. You and I, we've been freed from that, from the penalty we deserved. And so through grace and through faith in Jesus, you and I can share in that glorious resurrection too with new and perfect bodies where there is no more sin. And while we can celebrate Jesus as a good teacher and miracle worker, who died on a cross, the resurrection means we can also celebrate him as our Savior and our Lord and our God. He shows us who he truly is through the resurrection. Everything written, that was written about him and what he said about himself is true because he was raised from the dead. Without it, the rest doesn't even matter. Think about it. If Jesus isn't powerful enough to defeat death, then where is the hope that we have? Where is the hope in God, the hope for us? You see, death swallows up all hope, doesn't it? We need to really think about this. Jesus himself defeats death. He has mastery over it. No one in this world has that sort of power. No one makes claims like Jesus who once said, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. And then actually dies and is resurrected to prove it. He shows us that there is, if there is any hope in this world, we can, we can, and if there's any assurance we can have, it's through him and him alone. The one who has power over death itself. Death itself is, is no more. And that's for us too. 
you know, with Notre Dame, what we, we realize is that we fear the loss of, of the sacred. Art, buildings, we fear the loss of our history, we, we fear the loss of our, in, in life, we fear the loss of our income, our lifestyle, our relationships. We fear the loss of loved ones. And we fear, most of all, death that takes away hope in this life, don't we? But in Jesus, we no longer have to fear death itself because death has been taken care of. It is the last enemy. I want to share a little bit more about myself if you don't know me. I play video games sometimes. I know I don't look like the type. But um, with video games, you generally, you know, you go on these missions and you have to fight really tough bosses to clear a level. You use your skills and your weapons and you get strong to beat the boss and finish the game. But I'll be honest with you, uh, I suck at gaming sometimes. I give up really uh, quickly and I go online instead to find tips and tricks to defeat bosses if I keep dying. Cheat codes are my friend. But don't judge me. I, I just don't like dying. But isn't that all of us sometimes in life? I mean, isn't that all of us sometimes? We go through life and we want the cheat codes, right, to defeat the big bad bosses in life. We want to be able to, to, to fight against the sorrow and the sadness and the, and the loneliness and the anxieties and the stress that we have sometimes. We want a magic pill. We want, we want to win the lottery. We want that cheat code to get ahead in life. And yet the reality for all of us is this, the last boss death itself, death is always waiting at the end. There is no cheat code to defeat death. It comes for all of us. Death is the ultimate boss in this life. You and I, no matter, no matter how noble our intentions are, or how strong you might feel, all the experiences that you've had in, in this life, you can't just respawn like in a video game after you die. And no matter who you are, whether you're the most powerful person in the world or the, or the wealthiest or the most famous, yes, Bill Gates and, and the great Beaver, they'll all face death one day. But there's someone even greater who lived and walked this earth, someone who faced death head on and was strong and powerful enough to defeat death. You see, our relationship with God has been restored through Jesus' resurrection. You and I can know and have assurance of a relationship with the creator of the universe, we can have a relationship with the majestic God, the infinite God himself, because of the very thing that destroys hope, the sin that lives in our hearts, the death that we all deserve, has been destroyed. Sin and death has been defeated at the cross in the resurrection of Christ. But secondly, I think the resurrection gives us the hope of restoration for our world as well. Many people have theories right, of what happens after we die. Uh, Stephen Hawking, that, he had a brilliant mind, but he believed that there is nothing after we die. Hawking believes that our bodies and minds are like computer programs. After a while, it just shuts down. And after it shuts down, there is, and we die, there's nothing. I mean, some people believe that. Others believe we have a spirit, a, a, type of, a type of one with the universe idea, a place of peace, something that sounds good and, and feels good and gives some sort of hope to look forward to, but there's, there's no, nothing solid about that. Jesus shows us something about himself, doesn't he? We see a Jesus who has a resurrected body where his body is restored. It's a hope of restoration. And he shows us too that we, we can be raised and given new bodies and glorious ones as well, and that this creation, this world will be restored one day. And while Stephen Hawking sees his body and mind as a computer that just shuts down, and while he says that, that any type of afterlife is just a fairy story, sadly, Hawking has died without any hope. Yet, if we're honest with ourselves, I don't think anyone Anyone wants to really die into nothingness. I mean, what's the point of life at all? <laughs> we all want to hope that there's something. 
we're all truly deep down afraid of dying into the unknown. We're all hoping for something, particularly if we found this life to be hard and miserable, right? We're hoping for something better. Jesus gives us that hope of restoration. And what, what Christians refer to us as, as the eternal life, what Christians refer to as, as heaven, Jesus promises us that. It's, it's written in Revelation 21, 5, that all things will be made new. Right? A picture of restoration. And don't, we want, don't we all want that? Man, I long for the day when I don't need to read the news anymore. Not because the news bores me, but because the news is, is always either full of trash or full of tragedy. And trash, I don't, it's just a waste of time to read, but tragedy just makes me sad. I, I grieve at the, the brokenness and sadness in this world. Yeah, and what we hear in the West, in the news, is only a fraction of the brokenness happening in other countries in this world around us. There is still so much oppression, people living in fear, kidnapped, sold into slavery, people getting blown up all the time, gunned down. You know, this is just another day for some people in other parts of the world. But not only outside in the world, right here in my heart, I feel the brokenness all the time. The brokenness of my sin, my selfishness. The very things I do that push people away or make me feel inadequate and small. I feel the wickedness of my sin when I say things that might hurt people. Or don't speak up and say things when I can to encourage and love people around me who might be hurting. I see my own brokenness every day. And I can't wait for a day. I can't wait for a day when justice and renewal will come and all things will be made new. Where there'll be no more tears. Where there'll be no more suffering. Will there be, where, where there'll be no more pain, no more sin. I can't wait for God to act and to restore His creation to its former glory. No, to, to consummate creation even, to, to an even greater glory. You see, that's the hope that the resurrection of Christ gives us. The resurrection of Jesus, the, the empty tomb, it points us to that future glory and hope. We're not living just for a better tomorrow, we get to live for a greater eternity. And so when we look to Christ, we can hold on tightly to that, can't we? that solid, unshakable hope in Him. And friends, I want to invite you to do that. Easter Sunday is a day where we can come and see that His body, it was destroyed, but it was raised again in three days. You know, unlike an a, a ancient a Catholic cathedral, it doesn't take a billion dollars to restore it. It didn't take years to bring it back from the dead, but when He was raised, it changed history. When Jesus was raised, it changed everything. It changes everything for you and I and the brokenness in our world. We can have hope. Hope has risen. And that's Jesus. He was risen to bring you and I to God. As I reflected on the goodness of Easter and the hope we have in Christ, I remembered a classic story. It's called The Ragman. I don't know if you've heard it before by Walter Wangrum. And I'd love to share it with you because it hit me right in the feels. So I'm going to put on my storytelling voice right now. And I hope you guys can follow along. Before dawn one Friday morning, I noticed a young man, handsome and strong, walking through the back alleys of the city. He was pulling an old cart filled with clothes, both bright and new. As he pulled the cart, he was calling out in a clear, powerful voice, rags, rags, new rags for old. I take your tired rags. The air was foul in these dark side streets, tainted by the filth and trash that living unleashes in the world. And yet as the man called out, the air became tinged with a faint scent of cleanliness, as though the breeze that carried the sweet music of his voice also carried with it the hope and the promise of a cleansing rain and a purifying wind. Rags, new rags for old, I take your tired rags, rags. 
The man continued to move through the dim light of early morning, his strong voice echoing from building to building and street to street. Now this is a curious thing, I thought to myself, for the man looked tall, strong, his arms were like tree limbs, hard and muscular. His eyes flashed with intelligence. What was he doing here? Who recycled rags anymore? Driven by my curiosity, I followed him, and I wasn't disappointed. Soon the ragman saw a woman sitting on the porch of a small house. She was crying into a handkerchief, racked with sobs as she shed a thousand tears. Her, her body language said it all. She had no hope. Her heart was breaking. Her body may have been alive, but her soul wanted to die. The ragman stopped his cart. Quietly, he walked over to the woman. Give me your rag, he said gently as he knelt beside her, and I'll give you another. And the woman looked up into his powerful, compassionate eyes and, and saw something there that paused her, to paused her tears. The, the ragman slipped the handkerchief from her hand and used it one last time to dry away the, the flow of tears from her face, never taking his eyes from her. He laid across her palm a linen cloth so clean and new that it shined. And the ragman slowly leaned forward and kissed the woman's forehead and then turned and walked back to his cart. And as he began to pull his cart again, the ragman did a strange thing. He put her old used stained handkerchief to his own face. Then he began to weep. He sobbed as grievously as she had done, his shoulders shaking as the tears flowed down his face in a torrent of grief. But looking back to the woman on the porch, I could see that she was left without a tear. She sat with her shoulders high and a look of wonder on her face. This is amazing, I thought. And I followed the sobbing ragman like a curious child. I watched the ragman from a distance. Rags, rags, new rags for old, rang forth his voice. Though it was still strong, it also shook with emotion as he wept. And the ragman came upon a girl sitting curbside whose head was wrapped in a bandage, eyes as vacant as the windows around her. Blood soaked her bandage and a single line of blood ran down her cheek. And the ragman paused and turned his weeping eyes upon this empty, injured child. Reaching into his cart, he withdrew it from, it from it a beautiful yellow hat and walked towards the girl. Give me your rag, he said softly, and I'll give you mine. And the child did not move and could only gaze at him vacantly while he loosened his, the, the bandage, removed it from her head and tied it on his own instead. And I was shocked. With the bandage went the wound. The, the, the girl's head was left unblenished and the wound had disappeared while, and while the ragman's head began to bleed. He set the hat on the girl's head and suddenly her eyes took on an understanding and intelligence that had been missing before. Smiling in wonder, she watched as the ragman rose unsteadily to his feet and moved back to his cart. Rags, rags, I take old rags, crying out the sobbing, bleeding ragman. New rags for old rags. He came upon an unconscious, an unconscious old drunk lying beneath an army blanket. Hunched, wizened, and sick, he took that blanket and wrapped it around himself, but for the drunk, he left new clothes. And now I had to run to keep up with the ragman. He was weeping uncontrollably and bleeding freely from the forehead. He struggled to pull his cart while stumbling from drunkenness, falling again and again, exhausted, old, and sick. Yet he moved with his terrible speed, nearly sprinting through the alleys of the city, covering block after block, mile after mile. I wept to see the changes in this man. I hurt to see his sorrow and ached each time I saw him stumble and fall. I wanted to stop falling and turn away from my grief, to leave it behind and go back to my old life, but I could not. I needed to see this sad, amazing story to its end. Who was this ragman? Why, why had he done what nobody else would have done? Where was he going in such a hurry? How would it end? 
You see, the once strong ragman was now old and frail, weeping and bleeding, staggering and falling, his body racked with pain, sorrow and disease. I watched as he came to an old abandoned lot that was filled with piles of trash. And he moved among the garbage pits and climbed to the top of a small hill made from the trash of a thousand lives. He struggled to pull his cart and its sad, pathetic burden. And with a deep sigh, he slowly made a bed from the contents of his cart and lay down on it. His body shook under the load of its injuries and pain and diseases. Eyes wept and the wound under his bandage continued to bleed. With one last deep sigh, he closed his eyes and died. Oh, how I cried to witness that death. I sat down and wailed and mourned as one who has no hope. I wept because I had come to love the ragman. As I had followed him, I watched him work wonders and change lives so profoundly that it didn't seem fair that he was gone. He had taken those things that were soiled and damaged beyond repair and had replaced them with the new and the whole. He had offered hope to the damage and loss of the city. But if the ragman was gone, then my hope was gone as well. I felt such an overwhelming sense of grief and loss that I sold myself to sleep. I slept through Friday night and Saturday and on through Saturday night as well. But then on Sunday morning, I was awakened by violence that shook me to the core of my being. Light, pure, hard, insistent light slammed against my tear-stained face and demanded that I awake. And when I was finally able to open my eyes, I blinked and I squinted in the direction of that pile of trash where the ragman's body had been. And as I looked, I saw the last and the first wonder of all. The ragman was there. Yes, but he was no longer dead. He was alive. And besides the scar on his forehead, there was no other evidence of what he had previously taken upon himself. There was no sign of sorrow or age, no evidence of illness or deformity. His body was whole and strong, and all the rags that he had gathered shined for cleanliness. I wept to see him again. When I thought that hope had died along with the ragman, I had abandoned any hope for my own life. And yet there he stood, healthy and whole. I moved toward the ragman, trembling from what I had seen and because of what I knew I needed to do. Walking to him with my head lowered, I spoke my name to him with shame. Looking up into his clear, loving, compassionate eyes, I spoke with yearning in my voice. Rags, please take my tired rags and replace them with new ones. And he did just that. Taking the old tired rags of my existence that covered the griefs and wounds of a life sadly lived, he replaced them with the new clothes of a life spent following him. He put new rags on me and I am now a reflection of the hope he offers to us all. Friends, the ragman is the Christ. He's the one who restores us and gives us new life, new clothes. We can come to the Christ with all our sorrow and our hurt and our sin and find hope in the restoration he offers. The one who defeats death and has risen. He's the one who has given us that risen hope in this life and the next. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus We thank you that he died on a cross for us, that through his love and grace our sins have been forgiven, that we now have been redeemed, and that we now have been restored to you. We can have a relationship with you 
not only in this life, but for eternity. We can have a relationship with a God of joy, of peace, of security, of freedom. We can enjoy that today. But Lord, you also promise us that the hope of enjoying that forever. And so we do pray, Lord, that today as we f- reflect on Easter, as we reflect on the first Easter of Christ on the cross and the empty tomb, that we'll come to you with a, a joy, a childlike faith, knowing that you're the God who, who loves us enough to send your son to die and be raised again so that we can have a risen hope in you and in you alone. We do thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.